uh, as we come back to 9 o'clock, I'm looking at a decent crowd for 9 o'clock, don't you think? Yeah. I'm also looking um, at empty seats, and it sort of strikes me because I haven't looked at that for like months now. Um, question for you. We've just sung about the Holy Spirit to move in us and for revival to come. Um, is it in your mind and your belief and in your prayer that God might move in a mighty way among us that people flock to worship him? And that these seats, a few more empty ones this morning than in recent months, that these seats might be filled? Um, is it part of your thinking, part of your hope, your heart's desire that God would move in a mighty way even through us so that people would turn to him again, people who, you know, we've sung about them, people who are blind, who need to see, people who are experiencing strongholds of evil in their, in their lives that they need to break free from, but they can't unless Christ does it in them by his spirit. That they, the blind see that those who are experiencing strongholds in their lives are set free from them. And my friends, oh, can I ask you? I mean, it, this dwells in my life, and I pray for it, and I'm passionate about it, that, that someday again God would so move that this place is filled, both services and maybe more, as people find Christ. I'd like to invite you to join me in that, if, if, if you haven't thought much about it recently. And that we be a church which pray for it, and we work for it, and we give ourselves to the cause of Christ, to see him move in power again. You know, we live in a secular world, and I think a lot of times we think, oh, that's just the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. Secular, do you know before the great revivals uh, in the United States in, in uh, the late 1700s, 6% of people went to church. And then the great revival took place, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came back to God and came to faith in Christ. It can happen again in our, again in our day. I want to be part of it. And I hope and I pray you do too. Well, there's the first sermon. I'll move on to the next one. I'm serious though. Who do you know who's blind and needs to see? Who do you know who's living under the power of the strongholds of the enemy? And needs to be set free. Pray for them. Invite them. Bring them. Love them. Let me pray. God, it's uh, so true that... Uh, just because things are the way they are doesn't mean they will stay the way they are because when you move by your spirit, everything changes. And God, we're a church which wants to be part of that change and we pray, our God, for the things that we have sung. We pray for revival again. We pray, God, that you would un un unleash your Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit, you would move in power even in and through us so that people who are blind might see and people who are living under strongholds might be set free. God, do your work in us and through us and in this world of ours. Even now, Lord, as we turn our minds and our hearts to your word again, this incredibly inspired book, we pray that we will encounter you and we will be drawn into the story of God, the action of God in this world, the desire of God for this world. Set us on fire, Lord, in our hearts. And help us to believe of what, about what can be as we simply live before you with faithfulness and with obedience and with love and with mercy and with grace. Amen. I want to start this morning by essentially asking you, do, do you believe in miracles? That's a good question, isn't it? 
Um, Jesus performed lots of miracles according to the New Testament. He healed people. He walked on water, these various things. He rose from the dead, and if resurrection isn't a miracle, I don't know what is, because a miracle essentially is, is, is a moment in time when God, by His Spirit, intervenes into time and space in a unique and powerful way. And when the God who created the, the laws of nature suspends them for a time, if He created them, He can suspend them, right? That's the rationale. And if he, has, if he takes a moment and he suspends the laws of nature, which he has corrected, and he moves in a way that, it, that it, it, he then moves in a way that is completely unexpected um, and surprising, and by his power, something of his will is accomplished. It's a miracle. You believe in miracles? Do you believe that Jesus performed miracles? Do you believe the same Jesus today wishes to perform miracles and still does? It's an important question. We've been talking about the miracle of mercy. And I would suggest to you that mercy, when it is, in, it is experienced, when it is encountered, it is an actual miracle of God. When a person experiences undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness, and their eyes are opened, it's an intervention of God to do something that's not humanly possible. Their eyes are opened to see and understand and be overwhelmed with a God who in, his, in the core of his being is merciful. Contrary to what many, many, many people think, even Christian people think about who God is who is so eager and ready to provide that undeserved forgiveness and in his heart of hearts has, has this deep well of compassion and, and a desire to be kind to people who have not earned it and never will. I'm telling you, every time it happens, every time mercy is shown, a miracle takes place because God has intervened in time and space and he has done something by the power of his spirit. And I hope over these weeks, you, you know, your eyes are beginning to be opened even, even still. I mean, all of our eyes continue to be open to the depth of the truth of God all through our lives as we dwell in this book. But I hope your eyes have been opened and you've begun to see the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of the reality of God's mercy. That quality, as I said in sermon number one, I believe it is more, more referenced in the Bible than any other quality of God. What we have done is talked in, in recent weeks about how God shows mercy to us. Say we're going to pivot. Here all these politicians are pivoting. We're going to pivot. And we're going to start talking about how we can show mercy to others. And this is cool stuff. I hope it, I hope it impacts you and challenges you and draws you closer to, to the Lord Jesus. In uh, Matthew 5, verse 7, Jesus said this, Blessed are the merciful, those who are full of mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We're, we're supposed to be merciful people. <laughs> those of us who have encountered mercy, those of us who have our, have our lives deeply blessed by this action of God, and, and our eyes have been opened, and all of a sudden we find ourselves um, caught up in, in God's merciful action. We're supposed to be merciful to other people, and when we are merciful to be more, more, uh, merciful to other people, what happens? Then we're blessed with further mercy. That's pretty good, huh? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. It is for us to do, to find this reality, to, to focus ourselves on the mercy. And we're going to talk about mercy today as being this. And we're finding unique ways to define it. But it is compassionate love in action, very simply. Compassionate love in action. Mercy is not just something that you think about. Oh, I, I should be merciful, or, or oh, I feel so much mercy to that person. It's not an emotion. 
you know, feeling something towards some, somebody. Mercy is something that we do. It is not just having pity on somebody. It is loving, compassionate action toward people who are in need, people who are in pain, people who are struggling, people, you know, who are, who are in that deep and difficult place of, uh, of heartache in their life. And it's engaging with them to lift them up out of the struggle and the heartache. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, pity says this, oh, poor Jim, he's lost his job, and hey, you know what? I know he's struggling uh, financially, and, and they're really not able to pay their bills. That is a real shame. That's not mercy. That's pity. You ever pity people? On, on the other hand, mercy is, you know, oh, poor Jim lost his job, and I know he's struggling financially, and, and you know, he can't pay his bills, and, you know, struggling in, in, his, in his family as a result. You know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to get together, and we're going to put some money on the table, and we're going to take it to him, and we're going to give it to him. And then, you know what we're going to do? We're going to activate our network, and we're going to ha- help Jim find another job. That's mercy. You see the difference? It's not something we think about and feel. It's something that we do compassionate love and action it's caring deeply for someone loving someone in such a fashion that it moves us from thinking about it to actually doing it um and that's what my friends we are called to it's you know if you would it's it's getting involved with the struggling the hurting and the broken of our world you know you can say it's it's us getting our hands dirty as we engage their lives and it's doing something that that causes them to be blessed and I want to do, tell you that we are called to do this not only by Jesus, we're called to do it because that's what Jesus did. Take a minute and think big picture. Jesus looked at us and didn't say, oh, what a shame, those rebellious people. They have rejected me, they've walked away from me, they have no hope for their lives, ultimately and for their future in eternity. Pity. That's too bad. That's, that's not the mercy that dwells in the heart of God. In the heart of God, there was this, this dynamic, undeserved forgi- uh, uh, forgiveness, unearned kindness. Jesus couldn't leave us alone. And he came into our struggle and our heartache, and he lifted us up through his death and his resurrection, and he offered us life in him. And we're going to look today at a, at a story in the, in the early ministry of Jesus, Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 1. Where Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Let me take a minute with leprosy for you because it's not that common in our world anymore. Um, in Jesus' day, <coughs> excuse me, um, there was no cure for leprosy. There was no prevention of it. It was just ultimately something that would invade a life and it would kill a person, both soul and body. Um, in soul, because if, if you contracted leprosy in Jesus' day, you instantly became an outcast. You know, if, if, if you were touched by someone with leprosy, you would become, in, your own, in the society's mind, an unclean person. Can you imagine being a leper, and if you just touched someone, they were considered unclean because of you? You were considered unclean, of course, and you could pass that along. A leper had to live alone. They could not be in a town. They could not be part of a family unit. They could not worship God together, such as we're doing today. Uh, they were ostracized. The disease in the day was a sign of God's judgment. There was an assumption that the leper had done something in order to bring this judgment upon themselves. A moral failure had taken place, and God was punishing the person through leprosy. Um, they had done something to bring this on themselves. They deserved it. It was a terrible fate 
a terrible way to live. Let me go back to Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. This goes way back into the beginning of the Old Testament as, as the uh, people of God are being formed as a nation, and, and this is what it says. Anyone with such defiling disease must be, wear torn clothes, must let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, take a moment and think about this. <laughs> what a way to live. Uh, and, and this was the life of the man in the story. He had to go about wherever he went, half of his face covered, hair a total mess, living uh, as, as described. He, and he would need to cry out literally, unclean, unclean, so that people would part you know, come apart so that he would walk through untouched for fear of people becoming unclean themselves ceremonially or, or even physically ill themselves with leprosy. He was essentially crying, you know, look at me, everybody. I'm a failure. I'm a moral failure. There's something really wrong with me. <laughs> Don't come close. It would have been a humiliating experience day after day after day until... Uh, he died or she died. And this, of course, all on top of the reality of the physical disease, which would destroy the nerves in the body, which would disfigure the face and the hands and the feet, at times leaving people grotesque to look at. Um, it's a man living exactly in this circumstance that came to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, and it says this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, what, a, what a verse. What a statement. Think of it. The man is on his knees. He is begging the Lord Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, by the way, if you were able, Jesus. Somehow he had this sense or he had experienced the miraculous power of God in Jesus already. He didn't say, if you are able. He somehow has a sense that Jesus is able. He says, Lord Jesus, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. You can change my life. You can save me. Talk about someone broken and in pain and in struggling. I want to suggest that he represents a lot of people who surround us in our world, in our lives untouchables, if you would, people who were looked down on, people of moral failure. And the question is, is Jesus willing to lift them up out of their circumstance, that circumstance which is destroying their lives? What do you think? Is he willing? Um, and quite frankly, it's not just is Jesus willing to, 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 to deal with such folks, the homeless, the hungry, the lonely, the outcast, the alienated, the shameful, etc., the question is also about the willingness of the people of Jesus to do the same. For it, us too, it is we too who are called to this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy, Jesus said. Well, Jesus in his day did the absolutely unthinkable in response to this man who has spoken into his life. Verses 41 and verses 42 of the same chapter. Jesus was indignant, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Um, it is a powerful, powerful thing 
it would have been to see, and it's certainly powerful us to contemplate, that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. <laughs> no one would have done that. People would have been aghast in the day. Literally, they pro- you probably would have heard the <gasps> of shock as people saw what he did because nobody would do this. I want to tell you, in that moment, we see a profound example of the mercy of God. Unearned kindness. See, nobody touched a leper in Jesus' day. And in this scenario, only a couple of things might happen. Number one, the man might be healed. The other being Jesus would have diseased himself. And at a very very minimum, have have become unclean ceremonially. You know what, this is a powerful thing just to, to dwell on for a minute. Again, if you step, step back and you think big picture, isn't this what Jesus did for us, that he stepped into our dis-ease and our sickness and our, and our brokenness and into our sin? He took it upon himself. Man of sorrow, uh, afflicted, wounded, in order to heal us. Came to people who were living with moral failure and with struggle, and he lifted us up and out of what was. Well, in this instance, Jesus touched the man, and then that man was healed. He was healed. And I thought a little bit about this this week. How long had it been since this man had been touched? How long had it been since anybody had put their arms around him and held him close, loved him? How long it had been since anyone had shown him kindness. But I want to tell you, Jesus, full of compassion, put love into action, and he entered into his world, and he entered into his pain, and he reached out and he touched the man. It wasn't just a feeling. He didn't just feel badly for him. It didn't just talk about the poor man's plight. Jesus did something about it. You see, in the end, he was willing because in his heart, was a powerful heart of mercy. Mercy, unearned kindness. And I want you to note the sequence in this. First of all, he touched the man and then he spoke. Did you notice it in the text? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and he said, I am willing to be clean. First, first he touched the man and then he spoke. My friends, we have got to show God's love before we talk. And this is a powerful lesson I think the church is still learning. This, this has been forgotten for generations, and I think now we're re-engaging it in a new way. As the body of Christ, that's who we are. That's where the, the representation of Jesus in this world. We have to be the hands and the feet of Christ before we're his mouth. Do you believe that? You know, for a long, long time, the idea was, well, if we just speak, people will hear the message of the gospel and believe in it. I want to tell you that is contrary to the example of Jesus. And it is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. First, we are his hands and his feet, and then, as was the case in Jesus' lives, we become his mouth. He healed the man. (laughs) First. See, we are most like Jesus, I would suggest to you, when we enter into and absorb the pain and the struggle of the people Jesus referred to as the last of these, my brothers, the sick, the imprisoned, the hungry, the thirsty, the people who are ostracized, the people who are outcast, the people who are on the fringe of society, the people who are broken, the people who are living in shame. 
um, it was such a person that Jesus touched and healed and then and spoke to. Can you begin to see for this man in this moment how he was experiencing the miracle of mercy? The heart of God translated into action, loving action which saved him, which transformed his life, which lifted him out of what was. Verses 33 and 34, these are, if you would, some odd little verses that often get passed over. I want to just spend a minute on them. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. What would you do if Jesus gave you a strong warning? See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. It's a testimony to them. That does seem a little obscure, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, that's nice. Why did Jesus insist upon this? Let me go to Leviticus 14, verses 13 and 14. And we're going to learn a little bit about those sacrifices. This is, this is what happens when a priest is being ordained, set apart for God, for God's holy service. Uh, the instruction, he is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, note the word, and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. This is even getting a little more obscure, isn't it? But this is the process whereby a priest would be ordained to the service of God. So be it. Let's move now to Luke chapter Oh, I'm sorry. I've got that backwards. That is actually what the leper is supposed to experience. All right? There would be a, a, a sacrifice. The blood would be put on the right lobe, the right thumb, and the toe of the leper as a witness, as a testimony, Jesus said, to the cleansing which he had experienced. Now, let me read Le- 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 Leviticus chapter 8, verse 23. And you know what's coming. This is where the priests get ordained. All right? Here we go. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot as the priest is ordained. And you see, here's the point that the blood of the sacrifice, the same sacrifice which cleansed the priest and made him holy was the same blood which cleansed the the leper and made him holy. As the blood which was sacrificed and the ceremony which set the priest aside for the service of God, so it's exactly the same blood and exactly the same practice which would make holy the leper and would cleanse the leper and set him aside for the service of God. My friends, I want to tell you that's mercy. This powerful image being given to this leper that he has been cleansed, that he belongs to the Lord, that he is now, if you would, a priest unto God, such as the New Testament has clarified for us. See, the Lord Jesus loves all people, and he wants to show them mercy. He desires in his heart. It was his, he was willing, he was eager to make this happen because of mercy. And I want to tell you, he seeks and desires today to do the same thing to people who are in deep need in this world of ours through his church, you and me. He touches people through the people he has touched. You get that? 
Jesus touches people with mercy through people he has touched with mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they, will, they shall receive mercy. There's something in this for us. We are showing mercy that we might show it to others. We are given mercy that we might be merciful to other people. We are to reach out and touch the broken and the needy and the ostracized and the moral failures of our world first and then tell them about the Lord Jesus himself. So who are, who are the lepers of our day? Who are the broken and the outcast, the shamed, the rejected? Who are these people who, who are uh, in, desperately need, in desperate need of mercy and an act of love so that they are raised up and brought out of what they experience? Street people? Hungry people? The destitute among us? Addicts? Sinful people? You know, prostitutes maybe? You know, you fill in the blank, whatever you like. And you stand back and say, Chris, am I hearing you properly? You would like me to engage in the lives of people who are addicts and people who are selling their bodies on the street, people who are, who are uh, living homeless in this world of ours, uh, people who are hungry, people maybe who are imprisoned. Anybody here thought about going to visit that woman in prison right now who is charged with eight murders in our area? It crossed anyone's mind? I want to tell you, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, but I think there's somebody far more important who's telling you the same thing. Because there's a Jesus in heaven who rose from the dead who has the same heart that he had the day he met the leper, and it is filled with mercy, and he is eager for his people to show his mercy, his church to, to show people mercy, that they might be saved from the life that they are caught up in. You know, I'm incredibly uh, thankful, proud that we have a missional community work da working downtown in Woodstock. Uh, every Tuesday night, they gather together with about 40 people now, and they make a meal together. Everybody helps make the meal, and they love one another, and they, they, they build community together, and, and, and Jesus is shared. We've touched and we talk. <laughs> I think it's amazing. I'm incredibly proud, as we've heard about today, that we go to the Hungary and, and the broken in Nicaragua. We work in, a, call it a slum, that's very, very fair. They're called burials there and on the edge of a town called Granada. And we love little kids by sponsoring a school. You, you give to that and I thank you for that and we pay for the teachers and we, we have built the facility and we continue to maintain it. Not just there but else. I think that's fantastic, reaching out and touching and talking. There are life groups among us who um, regularly go into various uh, circumstances uh, and, and just love people in Jesus' name because mercy dwells in their hearts too, the mercy of Jesus. I just noticed on our little flyer, and I hope you read these things and notice our emails when we send them to you monthly now. That's how we're communicating with you. But uh, again, a request went out, and I'm sure it'll be responded to, but for years and years now, we've gone downtown to the soup kitchen, I think it's called. We take two or three weeks in a year where we prepare the meal for the hungry and the homeless, and we feed them. I think Jesus is up in heaven going, yeah, good job. Because <laughs> in his heart, he's still willing. You get this, right? 
like he really cares and and he wants to touch and he chooses to do through so through his people i want to tell you my friends um the question isn't is is jesus willing the question in the end of the day i think from him to us comes are we willing to reach out and touch such folks are we willing to engage them where they are and to help lift them up out of love Are we willing to just love them in the name of Jesus? You see, Jesus could have refused that day. Jesus could have chosen to spend his life focused on other things. Clean things, nice things, comfortable things. Not the struggling and the hurting and the broken and the disrepute, uh, uh, those of disrepute and, uh, you know, those who were just struggling and hurting, you know, those who were living that messy kind of life. But there was something that made it otherwise in the end of the day, and that very simply was his deep and abiding desire to show unearned kindness to a man who desperately needed it. I want you to think about this too. You know, Jesus Jesus didn't wait for this man to become clean and then reach out to him. It's huge. (laughs) He didn't wait for the man to clean up his life and then reach out and touch him. He reached out and touched him so he could become clean. Anybody here just pondering these things and recognizing here's another moment in time when if indeed we take Christ and his word seriously, our lives will change? See, at IPC, we have to be like Jesus. You thought about it? Um, if we're really his and if we're serious about these things. You know, it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to believe in what he says so much to then act like him. And of course, the second is what we're called to biblically. Faith without works is dead. Um, You know, Jesus did something incredibly unusual. It was unexpected. It would have shocked people. It would have transitioned their lives if they had become like him. He touched those in the world that were rejected and who were looked down upon and who were no longer valued. But that, my friends, is the miracle of mercy. Are you getting it? Shown to us that we might show it to others, that we might be blessed in the giving of it. Small groups have been asked in our Miracle of Mercy campaign to engage in what's called a mercy project, or project, as the Americans say, and is now creeping into our vocabulary. Can I ask you, those of you who are in small groups, have you done one yet? And are you pl- or are you planning to do one? And can I ask if you haven't done one and you're not planning to do one, why? Why? You know, sometimes I say things and even people will come to me after and say, Chris, did you push that a little too far? And I often think, you know, I, I dwell on it, I reflect. And, but I often think if I don't say it, who will? Right? If we're going to end up like Jesus doing the culturally radical thing, if we're going to do what nobody else does, if we're going to violate the norms of society in order to bring the kingdom of God, some things sometimes need said. Can I say this to you in love and grace? 
if your small group has decided or hasn't chosen to do one and has decided not to do one, there's a significant need to look in your heart to see if the mercy of God dwells there. That's a bit of a hard thing to say. But I think if we're going to end up being like Jesus, sometime we need a little shaken. Because it is so easy in our world to form our lives around our own needs and our own desires and our own comforts to keep our hands clean, to not engage with the messy things of this world because it's not fun. And it doesn't necessarily do good things for me. You know what that's called, what I just described to you? A lie of the devil. Because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be blessed. You want to know a beautiful blessing of God in your life? Act like Jesus. And it's not an easy thing for us to do. It's not an easy thing to think differently about life and engage in new activities and enter into the lives of the broken and the needy and the ostracized and the rejected and the shamed. But that's what Jesus calls us to. So life groups and small groups and sisterhood and small groups and impact and small groups and youth ministry, what are you going to do? I spoke with Joyce Degeer Vanderspeck, our, our uh, discipleship pastor, and I asked her, you know, how, how many groups do we have, do you think, in our church? And she ballparked pretty quickly, probably 25. And let's assume that in each group, on average, there are 10 people. That's 250 people. That's a lot of people. What do you think would happen if 250 people reached out and touched the leper? in our community. What do you think would happen? I think a lot of us might think, well, that would, that would be kind, it would be good, it would be nice. Let me read to you verse 45, the final t- uh, verse in this text. This is right after Jesus gave him a strong warning and said, don't tell anybody, but go straight to the priest and get the blood on your ear and your thumb and your big toe to signify your cleansing, to be set apart for the service of God. Instead, he, the leper, one who had previously been a leper, went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. <laughs> Just imagine Jesus, oh, <laughs> I think he does that with me a lot. <laughs> but as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. You know what I just said? I nearly fell off my chair when I realized this this week. He went out, outside and stayed in lonely places. What Jesus did was change position with the leper. Now the leper could be in the town and he could be with his family. He could worship God. Where's Jesus? He's on the fringe of society. He's the alienated one. He's the one who is alone. There's a complete other sermon in this text, by the way, that maybe you'll get someday. (laughs) That's what Jesus did for us. He hung on a cross, abandoned even by his father, Wearing our disease, our sickness, taking it to himself so that we might be healed, so that we might be lifted out of our misery, so that we might have a life called eternal life, abundant life. That's the mercy of God. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, and then listen, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. (laughs) 
Jesus touched somebody and people flocked to him to hear the message of God. What would happen if 250 people at IPC, who are IPC, who are the people of Jesus, the people through whom Jesus wishes and is deeply willing, can I use the word, to show mercy to these who are outcast and destitute, what would happen? Yeah, right there, right? I think people would flock to Jesus again. And I, I, I guess I'm finishing up with where I began. I long for that to happen. I believe it can happen. I pray to God that it will happen. I pray to God that someday every seat in this 9 o'clock service is filled because God has worked powerfully in the lives of his people and that those people have been transformed in their hearts so that they are willing to reach out and touch the leper. That's pretty cool, huh? And in the end of the day, I guess... Uh, God's word is, is kind of clear, isn't it? God's word comes to us and said, don't just do what society tells you to do. Don't just act in the way everybody else acts. Act, act in the way of Jesus, because in your heart, having received mercy, you are willing to give it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. God, we know we are blessed with mercy. Lord Jesus, you have come into our brokenness and into our shame and into our struggle to take to yourself our disease that we might be lifted out of what we know. And we know we are called to act in a similar fashion. We have been given mercy and we are called to share it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come and entered into our need and you have refused to stand back and do nothing. God, you didn't wait for us to get our act together. You didn't wait until we got cleaned up before you were willing to, to touch us. And we thank you. And now, Lord, we're your representatives here. <clears throat> we are your church. You are eager to show mercy to people still in this world, and you choose to do so through us. And you ask us to be merciful, to put our compassionate love into action. And God, we pray that you would give us the courage to reach out and touch people, people maybe we have never touched, people we haven't wanted to touch or be with. Give us the determination, Lord, to change our lives where we need be that we might be like you, Christ. And God, we pray <clears throat> that you will save people through us. We pray that you will save people through the people that you have saved. We pray that in us, others will see you first, and then hear from you as we simply act like you. Lord Jesus, in this message, there is great opportunity and there's great anticipation, but there is also great challenge. As we've been challenged today, as small groups have been challenged, as individual people have been challenged in terms of how to live life, God, we pray that in the end we'll hear promise of mercy flowing into our lives simply because we've been merciful to other people. Lord, we long for the day when people flock to the Lord Jesus again and we ask for that day and we ask that we might do what we can do 
you would enable us to do what we can do to produce that end. So Holy Spirit, work first in us. Transform us and change us to become like Jesus so that through us the world might know the mercy of God. Amen. I invite you all to stand as we worship and just respond to what God has done, what God is speaking into your heart. Stop. 